Well, welcome to the last weekend of Christmas, the last feast of Christmas. Today's gospel shows Jesus as a grown adult entering his public ministry by submitting to a baptism he had no need for. And he did so to fulfill everything that the crash set, the Christmas carols, the church decorations have been pointing us to ever since Christmas Eve. That Christmas, the word became flesh, is the necessary condition for all that will take place on Holy Week. The institution of the Eucharist on Holy Thursday, the cross, death, and burial of Jesus on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Sunday, our liberation from death. Our gospel text tells us that heaven was opened. But what does that mean? That the barriers between that sin created between God and man, between man and his fellow man, between man and nature, were being excised like scar tissue so that healing can finally take place. Jesus' baptism also tells us something about the waters in which you and I were baptized. St. Maximus the Confessor, one of the great mystical writers of the sixth century, said in a sermon, Christ is baptized not that he may be sanctified in the waters, but that he himself may sanctify the waters and purify by his own purification the streams he touches. The word who became flesh by descending from heaven and rising from the waters of his baptism make holy the waters of every baptism that every Christian comes from. Unfortunately, so many Christians today treat their baptism so cheaply. There is a tendency to falsely believe, well, I've been baptized with by, so I'm okay with God. And for many, whether Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant, one's baptism is really an afterthought and not seen as the source of grace to offer worship to the Lord. In fact, for many today, worship is not the meat and potatoes, the foundation of their spiritual lives, but it's treated more like a, a very rich dessert that, while enjoyable, should only be indulged in on rare occasions. What they don't realize is that they are creating a spiritual vacuum within themselves, and human nature abhors a vacuum and will fill it with something. And it's usually the spirit of this world which tempts us with a delightful heresy tailor-made to our fallen nature. It goes like this. I don't need to worry. All I have to do is be good. And I'm going to heaven. It's a delightful heresy. But consider its logical conclusions. If all I have to do is be good, then what possible need was there for the mystery of Christmas, that God became one with us? Oh, it was very nice of him, of course, but not at all necessary. If all I have to do is be good, what possible need was there for the mystery of the cross, since my goodness is sufficient for my salvation? Now, if that sounds arrogant, it is. 
Not only does the creature deny everything the creator has done, but the creature has turned himself or herself into the creator, into his or her own God. What good can come from that? Human history repeatedly demonstrates what happens when we swallow this delightful heresy that all we have to do is be good. When we rebel against the reality that we are fallen creatures, we are left to our own devices to define what is good, and that results in horrible things. There was a very shameful period in American history in the 1900s that is referred to as the eugenics movement. Influenced by Darwin's theories of evolution and fostered by Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, and Darwin's four sons, a belief system in this country flourished that what was true of lower species of life, that only the superior who are fit, who adapt, survive, and flourish must hold equally true for human beings. Therefore, the weak must be eradicated or at the very least blocked from breeding. This belief system was so popular, it was enforced, it was taught as part of the American public school curriculum in a book entitled Civic Biology, written in 1914. This belief system reached its peak on May 2nd in 1927 when Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, in the case of Buck versus Bell, paved the way for the mandatory sterilization of Americans deemed to be unfit by authorities of the state. Justice Holmes wrote a chilling conclusion, quote, we have seen more than once that the public welfare may call upon the best citizens for their lives. It would be strange if it could not call upon those who already sap the strength of the state for these lesser sacrifices, often not felt to be such by those concerned, to prevent our being swamped with incompetence. It is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. This was our Supreme Court justice. More frightening, only one justice dissented. And that was Justice Pierce Butler, a Catholic. That ruling resulted in over, conservatively, 70,000 mandatory sterilizations of American men and women that state authorities believed were unfit, degenerate, defective. All on the alleged science of eugenics. Adolf Hitler, by the way, praised the American eugenics movement in his book Mein Kampf, My Struggle. What Hitler and, the, <clears throat> and the, all the leaders of the eugenics movement had in common was their conviction they were doing good. 
Hitler just took everything that the Americans believed in to their natural conclusions. Margaret Sainer, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was devoted to the principles of social Darwinism and the principles of the eugenics movement. She firmly believed it was good, indeed it was necessary, for the health of the American society to push birth control on the less fit, the poor, the uneducated, the undesirables. For her, the goal of birth control was not to help the poor, but as she wrote, quote, the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, of preventing the birth of defectives or of those who will become defective, close quote. Consider today all the things we are told by the cultural elites that are good, changing the very definition of marriage that human beings have had for at least 30,000 years, an unchecked political correctness that not only seeks to curtail our freedom of speech, but in the process insists on our denying reality. The distortions of the new gender ideologies, all in the name of doing good. Human beings are not good by nature. Neither are we evil by nature. We are, by nature, screwed-up critters in need of redemption and grace to do the good that we are all called to do. In this last feast of Christmas, we witness Jesus humbly submitting to a baptism he had no need for so we could rise in glory from the waters of our baptism in him with a redeemed humanity. God became one with us so we could become one with him, and in doing so, reach the fullness of our human potential. This is the mystery of all the scripture readings, the decorations, the crest set, the carols have pointed us to. But do we allow ourselves to be grasped by the mystery? Do we see the great dignity we are called to in worshiping God as our supreme good? Or do we still fall for that delightful heresy, that exquisitely tailored lie, that all we have to do is be good? 